Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Worn Shoes. I'm glad you're here. In this episode, I interview Grace, who grew up in Indonesia and moved to the United States for school to pursue a degree in psychology. We talk about her life growing up in Indonesia and then transitioning to the U.S. about food, lifestyle, culture, and mental health. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Please stick around towards the end as I have a couple announcements for everyone. Enjoy! Gracia, welcome to Worn Shoes. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today. Thanks yeah. for asking. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you being here. I know you through the same school that we went to, Covenant College, and you are a good friend of my wife, Michelle. <laughs> Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like I had seen you around before before we started dating, but I didn't really get to know you until until afterwards. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I was in your wedding for sure. <laughs> yeah, you were one of the, the, the bridesmaids not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, so to, to start off, can you tell me where all you have lived and the places you visited and kind of where you consider yourself to be from? Yeah, just tell me a little bit about that. Oh, like visit as like, as like a vacation visit? Sure. Okay, so I was born in Indonesia, and like I technically grew up most of my time in like 20 minutes from Jakarta, so it's like the suburbs of Jakarta called Tangerang, but I was actually born on a different island, Okay. and we kind of like, yeah, we I moved around at least 15 times, oh, wow. like no, seven times around Indonesia, just all over. And kind of settled finally in Tangerang. Yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, was born and raised. And I grew up, uh, not grew up, but I visited, you know, other Asian countries such as like Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong and China and yeah. that part. Had some layovers in Japan and Korea <laughs> and, um, and Qatar. Yeah. And then also lived for about like a month in Sydney, Australia, actually, because oh, wow. my step aunt and my step uncle actually lives there. So yeah. I was there for a good time, actually. And then went to the United States in Look Island in Georgia for, mm-hmm. yeah, for four years in Covenant and moved to Atlanta and then potentially moving, not potentially, I am moving to Washington, D.C. this coming fall. So that's, so yeah, I've been... Almost in every part, except for like basically Europe and South America and Africa, but generally everything else have um, been like, you know, kind of touched here and there. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty large chunk of the world, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I forget how big Asia is, and they're like, oh, really yeah, cute. most of the world's people live in Southeast Asia, right? Yeah. Way, way overpopulated, but yes. So, yeah, so you mentioned that you moved a lot around in Indonesia. Yep, and I live, like, without traffic, it's, like, 20 minutes to the suburbs of Jakarta, yeah, so Tangerang. What did your daily life look like living close to Jakarta? In terms of, like, schooling and and getting around, I guess, what ages did you live in in Indonesia? Basically, like, my entire life. Okay. But specifically in Tangerang, like... 
from when I was six until I had to go to college. So like a really, okay. really good chunk yeah, of my life. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, that that's a large chunk. But yeah, can you tell, tell me about what did your kind of daily life look like maybe in middle school? We'll, we'll start there. Oh, middle school. Yeah. So middle school, that's when I transitioned from a international Montessori school to more of like a public school-ish, but not really. So it's called National Plus System. So it's like a hybrid within English and Indonesian. Fun fact, actually, I could not speak Indonesian in middle school, at least for the first year. So I, I, you know, with Indonesian, there's like different like not like formality and i really did not know formal indonesian like what in my household like at home my you know my grandparent my grandma taught me english most of like my media consumption was in english and i would say things to my parents in english but they'll respond back in mix of indonesian and my mom's dialect javanese so i never really like spoke formal indonesian you know if it was necessary um, in my former schooling, we also like, you know, I spent eight, nine hours of the day, basically speaking in English. So I only right. spoke Indonesian at home. So that was really interesting. I remember yeah. like, I couldn't understand like the grammar and certain, <laughs> like, I remember like, you know, like in Indonesian, like you have the article to describe a per- person and a fruit is like two different things. Right. And I remember using the article to use to describe a fruit to a person. And like everybody, they remember like, (laughs) everyone was like, what? And I'm like, oops. Um, Uh, So yeah. So because of that huge transition, I really struggled a lot in school, which is like, like, I think like something that a lot of my friends here in the States did not expect. So like day to day is, I I don't remember on top of my head what time we start middle, what time did I start middle school? I feel like it's definitely early like between the seven eight o'clock range yeah um so that's what i did um school was still in tangerang um i think the best part of tangerang is it has a lot of the facilities of jakarta Hmm. without the traffic of jakarta gotcha and so like school was super close at that time but a lot further than my elementary school like primary school so it's like it was like 10 15 uh, my mom will take me to school with her car and it's like super common to just like have your parents like drop you off and pick you up until like you basically finish high school yeah uh, it's super super common gotcha. and of course like my parents have a tendency to pack me lunch but there's also the school cafeteria if like i really wanted something snacky cravey unhealthy basically <laughs> and yeah started then we'll be in school until like around like two three i think it's, it was until like more like three o'clock i think i really i kind of forgot honestly middle school wow it's yeah. been a while <laughs> and then i'll go to tutoring because uh, i needed a lot of help uh, so and that I'll was be... tutoring in indonesian to kind of help yeah like understanding it's like for like math physics gotcha. chemistry yeah. history economics but in Indonesian. Okay. Um, so like basically for all subjects kind of thing, but mostly I did for like math, physics, and like those kind of like more like mathematical ones that requires kind of thing. A lot of like okay. the memorization and stuff like that. I was actually fine, which is weird. Yeah. So yeah, I will be in tutoring for like, sometimes it goes from like three to like six, seven o'clock. Sometimes. Oh, wow. It's usually, uh, and then sometimes it can go up to like nine o'clock. And then I'll go home, I'll do some kind of extra work, and then I'll go to bed at like 11. 
So it's like yeah. 11 to 6 kind of my day to day. And it's basically yeah. it. Like, it's yeah. a lot of like, a not adhering. School. A lot of school. Yeah. That's a mm. very, like, I think that was like my biggest shock in comparison to Montessori, where like Montessori, like, you literally like have the freedom to create your schedule. Yeah. And like, learn different things. And I really like, really enjoyed school during like my time when i was in montessori and now that i find out as i grew older as someone with adhd like it makes sense mm. like those environment that environment right. was more fitting for me yeah and, like it's funny because yeah. i was like you know i discussed things with my parents and they're like yeah we didn't know that you know that was the environment that was actually really helpful for kids with adhd without the fact mm. of knowing the kid our kid had adhd yeah and so, yeah, that was kind of my day. My life today is basically wake up, school, study, wake up, school, study. And I feel yeah. like that never really stopped until I graduated high school. And it actually got worse in high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So something you mentioned a little earlier that, that was kind of interesting was you talked about speaking Indonesian and English at home with your grandparents and parents. So you spoke English at home with your grandparents and parents. Am I understanding that? Yeah, I spoke to them. So my grandma, she is extremely fluent in okay. English. And she also like speaks like seven other languages. She's oh my like, gosh. yeah, and she like learned it herself kind of person. Wow. And so she really wanted me to learn English. And because I honestly don't remember when I started speaking English and my grandma kind of just like refined my grammar more. Yeah. But I, I remember it was definitely like Disney Channel and also like book influence. <laughs> yeah, so I love yeah. like reading little like children's books. So right. a lot of like, I guess like my language consumptions that is not verbal was English. What's the main language of Indonesia? I assume it's Indonesian, but yes. is it- is is English like I know that some countries have multiple primary languages. Is English is that the case in Indonesia or, or not? Yeah, so, so the national language is Indonesian, and then okay. each region has a dialect, which is like really different. And then like English is like I feel like I because I I was fortunate enough to went to like a Montessori school. Yeah, but I think if I'm not mistaken, for like even the public school, like it's like there is the like an English class. Okay. So, like, yeah. a common trait of Indonesians is they understand English, but they can't speak English, which is really okay. interesting. Yeah. And I saw it's something that it's maybe just how English is learned to be very, no, it's, it's, it's not as, not, I wouldn't say fluent, but it's, I guess it's a little bit more legalistic. It's like, a lot of like, oh, these are the grammar rules and stuff right. like that. So it's less, less, comp, uh, Indonesians really struggle to just have the courage to be conversational, I guess, because it's so past, present, stuff like that. And I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't learn any of that kind of stuff. It just kind of like, this is, seems like the dictionary in my head kind of thing. Hmm. But yeah, so I spoke to my parents in English. I did speak to them in Indonesian, but in, in Indonesian, informal Indonesian and my mom's dialect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what is the difference between informal and formal Indonesian? And then what was your mom's dialect? So my mom spoke Javanese. And it's so funny because I, I didn't understand it. But just she just says it. Like, you know, when like your parents say things so <laughs> repeatedly, and then they're like, yeah. you understand, ended up being able to speak and right. understand the language. It's because she forgets that like my dad and I cannot speak it. So now both my, <laughs> my dad and I understands it really well. Like, like pretty well, I would yeah. say. I'm more fluent in it than my dad because my dad just speaks another dialect. So I feel like there's just two things going on. And is this like a regional 
Indonesian, and, and it's just like from where the where they grew up and the places they came. It's just a regional dialect, mm-hmm. so it's not an accent, but it's like an actual diff- separate an language. actual separate language. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, I did not know like that those were like because like I remember like this is so funny. So back in Covenant, mm-hmm. I was at linguistics, and Dr. Hecker used Javanese as an example of one of the oh, questions okay. and I'm like wait you consider this as a separate language so I, <laughs> I remember on how I I know that we were learning like phonemes and all that stuff and right. I remember how I answered the question was I just tried to remember on how my mom says it yeah which ended up being the correct answer but it's just like funny it's like I didn't yeah. like you know it's just like oh interesting and yeah that was kind of like the pool that I was in so I spoke in I, I honestly what I think like kind of remember but like I think my parents would know this better than I do, but yeah. like it was definitely informal Indonesian with my mom's Javanese that are very used interchangeably mm-hmm. and and then jumping in English sentences. And somehow it's so funny because my mom was like, oh, I don't understand English, but she understand what I was trying to say. Right. So I feel like my parents need to give a little bit credit to themselves a little bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of like the conversations that I had with my family. But definitely like 90% English with my grandma gotcha. and she tries to be like mostly English because at that time she really believed in like for me to have like, you know, better, like a more refined grammar in a sense. And hmm. I feel like having, being in Montessori where, you know, English is the primary language yeah. spoken, like it just kind of like not amplifies it, but it kind of solidifies the different linguistic multilingualness of my head yeah but i don't know for sure that i was a late speaker in general Hmm. um so i only started talking when i was like three and a half and four i think if i'm not mistaken and then we find out now you know through like just learning and as a psychologist definitely because Mm. of those different languages contributing i wasn't late just processing different things (laughs) it's like three or four languages going on around as opposed to one yeah, that reminds me of a little bit uh, in Azerbaijan where people who are especially in their 30s and 40s will use Russian and Azerbaijani interchangeably just because they grow up in the Soviet Union. And so mm-hmm. they'll just like start a sentence in one language and end it in another. And then there's like dialects and stuff too. Yeah. So like just that situation of just like there's <laughs> languages flying everywhere around and you're trying to process it and, and figure it out. Yeah, so you talked about, yeah, going to school and some of the food there and, you know, wanting to get some snacks from the cafeteria and you, both your parents being from different regions in, in Indonesia. Can you tell me a little bit about the cuisine of Indonesia and what did you eat at home? What did you eat at school? So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, another fun fact is I'm Chinese Indonesian. <laughs> so that changes a lot of the food that I eat for sure. Um, my dad is actually like, I, we will assume as more like half. So my dad, my, my grandpa is native Indonesian. My, okay. my grandma is Chinese. My mom's okay. parents are both mostly Chinese. Okay. Uh, so I ate a lot of Chinese Indonesian food. Okay. Um, so Chinese Indonesian food is really interesting because I will associate my mom's home cooking to be very Chinese Indonesian. Hmm. So a lot of stir fry, lots of rice in general. I think it's such a very yeah. typical Asian thing. What were some of your favorite meals, I guess? Yeah, that, oh that, my your, gosh. Mom, that your mom put up, packed or that you ate or, yeah, just had in and around. So my mom is just like the best cook in the world, in my opinion, because she also makes really good Korean food, actually. 
and makes really great pasta. So she always just makes everything. Yeah. But my favorite kind of food from her is I think it's like basically pan deep fried like battered shrimp and and then like watercress stir fry with like shallots and garlic and rice. It's like the most cheapest but also most delicious wholesome meal that, in my opinion. That sounds really good. And or calamari. She deep fried it and then have that. I have I love that vegetable. That watercress. I don't know. I think it's is called it... watercress. Okay. But it's basically sp- spinach, but. It's not. It's it's a type of spinach, but I haven't seen it sold in the United States unless I go okay. to the Asian market. It has gotcha. like more of like, it has like a like a thicker stem and it's like longer in shape than regular like st- spinach. Yeah. But it's, it's a just... form of a spinach for sure. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like every you know, there's like you know, like people say like children hates vegetables, but that's like hmm. the one vegetable I, I you can ask almost every Indonesian that they somehow love. Would you say it's like a a, a staple in the Indonesian? It's just such a classic. So, like, you'll have that as a side with, like, deep-fried fish uh, Mm. or grilled fish. If you, I think it's what's really common in, like, an Indonesian and I feel like generally an Asian meal. You have some kind of protein, and that's usually the vegetable that goes with it with rice. That's just such a, I think growing up, like, that's kind of what my mom did. It's just a combo of those three, just different formats Mm -hmm. of it. But, Mm -hmm. of course, I like that specific vegetable the most like that specific spinach the most and like so she'll just change up the protein Uh, another thing that i love is this is a very chinese indonesian dish uh so it's like pork with tofu with like oyster sauce soy sauce garlic and onions and stuff like that and kind of marinate it um and then you'll have um shrimp crackers with it with rice I oh love gosh. those. Yeah, so crackers yeah. <laughs> is such a common thing. It's the thing. Um, and then there's one thing. My mom can't make this, but oh my gosh, I've been going to the same restaurant, like same place for the past, like since I was six. Oh, so wow. I've been a regular <laughs> then. So I'm excited yeah. to go there when I get back. Yeah. Um, it's basically deep fried fish rolls. Caviar? No, no, no. Deep fried, oh. not fish rolls. Um, like like fish fish cakes deep fried fish cakes oh okay okay that has a boiled a duck boiled egg in the center and then oh, you wow. and the sauce that you eat it with is basically a sweet vinegar sauce and yeah you eat it like that you kind of like dip it yeah. like there that's such an indonesian thing that i haven't found something that can describe as close to that that is my favorite food <laughs> yeah that like, sounds really good and then something that's super common with my family is eating out is actually cheaper than cooking in. So we have breakfast, like pork noodles for breakfast, and that's super, super common. And I really, really miss that. And also dumplings. Like, I really miss that. But yeah, those are like a few of like, oh, another thing that must, must a shout out. Uh, my my two, see, like I have a huge list, but like I like anything <laughs> that's fried. I think you can, there's three, okay, three things. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love, um... Basically, you know, like we have fried rice, but there's mm-hmm. fried, it's called kue tiao. It's fri- fried rice noodles, but not like the okay. vermicelli one, like pad thai. No, it's a lot right. thicker and it's a lot chewier. Hmm. Um, and then it's amazing. It's like with eggs and like it's basically fried rice, but better in my opinion. And then <laughs> yellow fried chicken. So you kind of like steep the chicken with like turmeric and then cardamom and all that stuff yeah. for like three hours and then you deep fry it 
and you can use that same kind of marinade for catfish. So I really like deep fried catfish too with Interesting. rice. And of yeah, course the sambal. Yeah. No, it sounds like there's a lot of fish, which I guess Indonesia is an island and there's a lot of islands surrounding <laughs> it. So that it seems obvious that that would be a large part of the... Yeah, seafood is super, super... Seafood and fish and of course like because I'm Chinese, pork right. is a huge factor. And like my dad loves to fish and so he goes to oh, fishing wow. all the time. So like he'll bring home like a rat snapper or something like that. So I think I've, I am fortunate enough to say that I had great seafood growing up for real. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my the diet is yeah mostly fish, chicken and pork for me personally. I don't really eat a lot of beef, yeah. Have you been able to, in Chattanooga or in Atlanta, been able to find any good Indonesian restaurants? Or... There's one in Atlanta. There's two in Atlanta, but I like one over the other a bit more. Okay. Really good friends with the owner, and I would say oh. the flavor is actually very authentic, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, in Chattanooga, sadly, no, most of the time yeah. I have to kind of make it myself. Yeah. But yeah, there's one in Atlanta, and it's pretty good. Yeah, so you you talked about food, and, and now <laughs> what about school? I know that you mentioned uh, the middle school you went to. It was kind of busy, you know, from 7 to 8 in the morning, and then you were doing school at you know, maybe even 11 at night, and that, that only got worse with high school. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your high school experience and what going to school was like like in terms of yes yeah, socially and then academically uh yeah what what was that experience kind of like going to and was it a school in indonesian or in english it was fully indonesian so like okay. i guess it's like a transition so like primary school elementary was like fully english and then middle school was more like half and half but not okay. really half and half and then high school was just straight on Indonesian. We, yeah. I only had like one English class and I slept yeah. through it because I feel like we repeat <laughs> the same things all over all the time. I mean, I think like a lot of people, if they found out what where I went for high school, they'll understand my sentiment about it. But high mm. school was hell <laughs> and traumatic. So high school, mm. uh, we start. So I wake up around 5, leave the house around 5.45. And then I start school around at 6.30. Hmm finish around four o'clock and it goes up to like 11 to 12. Yes. So that was all three years. Um, it was very intense. We had like 16 finals for two weeks. Wow. There's barely breaks between time periods. Um, so in Indonesia and more of like the traditional Indonesian curriculum. So you have to pick hmm. within social studies and natural sciences, the generic stereotype. And I feel like, like, you know, I feel like some stereotypes do stem from, like, some valid statements. So, like, yeah. natural science is the more likely you'll be successful and intelligent. So there was no yeah. doubt that I was not allowed to touch the social science section. And it's just, like, it, it's understandable, you know, just, like, the feel and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, generally, nat- I was a natural science major, which changes mm-hmm. things that mean, like, instead of having one math course, I have two math courses. Right. And um, just very, very natural science heavy. And so, like, we have to take all classes. So I have to... But it's also funny, even though I'm, I was a natural science major, history, civics, English, another foreign language, or another extracurriculum was all mandatory. And so I had... Yeah, so I studied physics, chemistry, biology, like, basically everything. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, the culture was it was definitely like you know like you know when you see movies like Korean dramas, Chinese dramas about like the、mm. intensity of school. It's basically、yeah. pretty accurate, actually. Of like everyone is just you meet the parents that will not let the kid go home if they、mm. got like a bad grade. That is、oh. actually and it's actually the my school kind of projects. I feel like projects that stereotype really well. It kind of there. It's like that's what they've known for too. You know,、yeah. they've known to be like that kind of academically rigorous. Yeah, which is like funny because I, like you know, I came, I went, I transitioned to that school based on like my former grade cards, not because like actually like I didn't, you know, some people did like a test entry and stuff, like、right. I didn't do that, and ended up I don't think it was my best choice in life.、Hmm. I mean, it was also really encouraged by my. Like my, my, not my mom per se, but more my. It was like exciting, you know. Like if your、yeah. kids going、yeah. to like a prestigious high school. Yeah. So that was like kind of my day to day. We had like one hour break, so fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes, and half an hour. And、mm. you should not be surprised when like, you know, there's an exam coming up. People don't really take their breaks and just use、right. it for study time. So、yeah. that's super super common. Something that like a lot of me and my current friends now have been like. Reflecting of like the impacts of those habits now as we enter into our twenties, especially、yeah. those who study overseas. Like there was some interesting, unhealthy habits that I feel like、yeah. we now really have to learn to unlearn in a sense. Yeah, because it like you know kind of goes to your core too, like what you consider values. So I think something that's very you know Indonesia is very collect, very collective, very indirect, and it's very、yeah. obvious in the education system too. Yeah, and I I kind of go on a full spiel about my <laughs> my dis my disagreements about a lot of it. Um, but yeah, something that's really thing totally witness is the hierarchy and social status. That's something、mm-hmm. that's really really high、uh, value. Like face value is really really important. I feel like you know, in academics and school, the face value is great. Yeah, and it kind of like progresses that, and you can also see how. Different social status, different economic status, really impacts different friend groups, circles too. Actually,、mm-hmm. yeah. which is like really interesting of how it's so implicit but yet so obvious. So like this is like a really bad example, and you know this is very anecdotal, but like it's not a huge surprise to me if let's say this person isn't necessarily the most intelligent. But the person is, you know, has material like stability and like, you know, seems like a wealthy middle upper class person.、Sure. Most likely, they're not gonna get bullied. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um. So it's just like those kind of little things. I don't know if like I answered your question. I feel like I went on a tangent. But like, yeah, it's definitely like the difference in. You can really see, especially in high school, for me, like the difference, what knowledge is, what education is. It's definitely. There's a lot of leaning towards what gives the best face value in investment, you know, kind of thing.、Mm, yeah. So yeah, and so that's why when I went to America, it was like, whew, you know, it's like it was a relief,、uh, mm. to be honest. And so it's、yeah. just there's there's I would say you know like living in the U.S. for a pretty good amount of time now actually. Yeah. Kind of makes you have. I don't think this is a surprise, but you know, like kind of having this kind of in the middle kind of situation, you know, where you're like, there's things that I really appreciate about the Indonesian culture values,、yeah. but there's things that I really don't.、Hmm. And so, like, kind of like, how can I find a good middle ground, especially like 
let's say like on things that I agree more on like the American side, like mm-hmm. it's easier to live in America by adhering to those values and like understanding mm-hmm. of how I guess to bring that when I go back. So it's just yeah. an interesting new life, I feel like. And also, like, once you live overseas, it changes of how you view things a lot, in my opinion. Mm. But, yeah. 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 Can you tell me about how how did you end up finding Covenant? Uh, it's pre- pretty far from, from Indonesia. So how, how did you end up finding that and, and getting to Covenant? And then what was that tra- transition like for you? Yeah. So it's, like, really christian answer but it is Mm. it that was exactly what happened so i was supposed to take architectural design in germany studied Mm. the language for a few years because i don't know a part of me was always like very persistent of finding a way of i think just because of like learning english first and stuff like that like i feel like i fit more to a more non traditional education setting but now we know mm-hmm. as i grew up like yeah. oh it's because like my ADHD brain was right. needed that yeah and then i found a lot of you know a few traumatic incidents happen and mm-hmm. then i was really curious and i was trying to find answers to solve the solution basically mm-hmm. or like just trying to understand my yeah. peers a bit more and i found this article on emotional suppression and I just felt, and then I started digging into different like psychological and neuroscience kind of literature and journals. Yeah. And I, I had, I had this like gut feeling that say like, I think this is like my calling, you know? Mm. Uh, I don't think Germany was it. My my dad almost killed me because he was like, not like literally, but he was like <laughs> kind of pissed because like we spent years for you to like prepare because I basically just need to do, mm. to do the final college entrance and right. that's it. And then, for ar- architectural design sorry, okay yeah. architecture yeah and so like okay like she's like we did all this work like what happened and so like and i'm really grateful like, my parents didn't expect me to like be an engineer be a doctor right. kind of thing yeah and so yeah i felt i fell in love with psychology and the stigma mm. of psychology in indonesia is like oh you're just gonna be like in human resources that's literally your only career and i'm like no that's not gotcha. completely true right. um and i asked the lord i'm like god like where should I go? Hmm. Because I have no idea. Yeah. And I had like, I, maybe like this is the Holy Spirit guiding in my head. Like, I just don't think it was Germany, period. Right. Um, and when I said amen, I got an email from Covenant. And... Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And somehow had the faith to go with it. And we did yeah. not have the financial means to go. <laughs> Yet, this is super cliche, but the Lord provided every yeah. single semester mm-hmm. and yeah. that's how i ended up being in america because and then i found out later that through my form uh, a former relationship i had like our mentor's daughter actually went to covenant so oh, wow. when yeah so when we, i was having like counseling like not counseling, like a few mentoring with her like she yeah. kind of like mention it and so it's like weird like she just mentioned not because she was like trying to recommend me to go there but it was like Oh, like my my daughter went there, and so it's yeah. weird when like I forgot which one happened first, but I feel like it was very like very tied into Kedder. I feel like okay, this is way too much Covenant Covenant. Like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> this is yeah. weird. And so yeah, yeah, that's how I ended up being in Covenant. You know, studied psychology and neuroscience, hmm. and I honestly like because of my cross cultural influence that actually ended up not only like exciting stuff, but like the masters that I'm gonna pursue this coming fall. Yeah. 
and also like the career choice that I end up picking is because like it's like witnessing the cross cultural difference, especially mm-hmm. in healthcare. Yeah, and kind of you know when you see both systems from as both as a local and as an international, like you kind of yeah. really see both the pros and cons really, really obvious. Like it's so vivid in a sense. Yeah, and so yeah, that's how I ended up being in Covenant and Covenant Lookout Mountain. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that is a crazy story. <laughs> so yeah, t- so that's how you ended up at Covenant College, you know, and and Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Can you? What what was that transition like? Because I mean, you mentioned that you visited you know other places in, in Southeast Asia, and then and you also mentioned you know being to. Did you say you went to Qatar? Yeah, but this is okay. for the layovers. But that okay, was like after. Lay- <laughs> that, that's like after after the United States. Okay. Okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So, so had you ever been to the U.S. No. before? Okay. Yeah. So, what, what was that like for you? I never visited Covenant. And so it's just, yeah. cr- I, honestly, so like, it's not like it's hitting me now. It's weird. Like, mm. I don't know, like, how the heck that happened. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, half the fate. So I, because financially my parents couldn't come. So I actually fl- yeah. flown so- solo to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it's a 26-hour flight. Wow. And yeah. it's like 32, including layovers. Yeah. And I remember my first impression, I was in Dallas, because that was my first stop before going to Chattanooga. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember craving a lemonade, wanting Wendy's, and I was just in utter shock with the portion sizes, because I ordered a large. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is so big. <laughs> um, so a lot of yeah. the, um, how the layout was one of my biggest, like, shocks in a sense, and also the bathrooms. Mm. That was a big one for me. I was like, yeah. In like Asian bathrooms are very like close from like seat to up to the floor. While in right. the US there's like this gap, right? Yeah. You know, so there's no bidet, <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is like different. Um yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when I first came to Covenant, like it was different because I grew up in the city. Mm-hmm. Covenant yeah. is definitely not a city. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I I mean like to be honest, I was like in this euphoric like newness and novelty so right. it was like really yeah. cool i remember when i first came and something that really changed about me is i used to hate hikes and trails and anything hmm. that involves nature because i don't like to i don't like to get <laughs> sunburned yeah like you know tanning is you know asian beauty standards do not like being dark right, right. um so like i don't like going out in the sun mm-hmm. in any shape or form and something one of my biggest change was definitely like I ended up really enjoying hiking and like going out and like I'm not like perfect about it but like it's a lot better than how it was like Hmm. yeah so and also like I guess the 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 attachment of just like the busyness of the city like that's something that Hmm. I've noticed for sure in Covenant and also just like being a minority like, mm. I've always been a minority in Indonesia because I'm Chinese. Yeah. But, like, it's even weirder when you're, like... Because Covenant is so predominantly white. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like, I remember one of my bigger cultures. Someone actually did not know where Indonesia was. And thought it was in South America. And <laughs> I, I and I have, like, several conversations about this. And I'm not saying, mm. like, I'm not saying that people are dumb, but I'm, like, like it's just you you feel yeah. it even more that you're not from the same 
area. Yeah. You know, something that's common knowledge to me, it's not common knowledge to them. Yeah. Or and vice versa. Like I didn't understand a lot of like terminology and different slangs and like, like, like more like, like general, like English slangs I get, but like more like regional Southern things like I didn't. Yeah. And so I think that was like my biggest shock. Of course, food was a big, big shock. The vending machines was also a big shock for me because it's so uncommon like back home just like there weren't any vending machines in Indonesia yeah Indonesians are not very huge like uh, soda drinkers in general Mm, I remember I wasn't allowed to drink soda basically growing up Hmm. Um, also the types of fruits like I miss that like you know I grew up with like a good variety and then maybe honestly cafeteria food is not a good standard but like having just bananas and apples is kind of sad but I there are things I really enjoy like bears a lot fresher People mm. care less what you wear. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more like, you know, it's more individualistic, you know, like you do your own mm. thing and you do your things. But I also feel like it was like a second chance for me because like, you know, growing up in such an intense high school environment and then you come yeah. in and you have a professor that believes in you. And like, you know, till this day, I, Dr. Yu, I owe a lot of who I am right now because of her. Because mm, she saw me yeah. not because of my grades, not because of my race, not because of my gender. Like, she saw me as yeah. me. Mm. And I think that's something that I really was happy to be set free of. Where it's not yeah. these kind of, like, face value things, you know? It's like, you are, mm. you're, that's when, like, a lot of things. And also the biggest one is, of course, like, the different perspective in therapy. Hmm. and how it, it was so encouraging covenant so it was just really interesting starting it's funny because like i was a psych major but i was so scared about it hmm. and kind of like the difference on my own cultural values that has impacted me on how i should view things like you know mental health mental illnesses and stuff like yeah. that so yeah that's like a summary i guess because i mean it's a lot to be honest Zach, and <laughs> yeah no. that's the yeah. one that's like coming on top of my head Thanks for sharing. I think something you said that stuck out to me is just, yeah, kind of the, there's the collective culture and then the individualistic culture and kind of how that relates to mental illness and, and kind of the area of psychology, you know, kind of how in Indonesia, you mentioned that it's kind of stigmatized of like, oh, you're only going into HR. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I just want to hear a little bit more about how you having your Indonesian identity and and Chinese identity and then coming here and trying to pursue psychology, just as you studied at Covenant, how did that kind of all intersect and work together? And because, I mean, now you're pursuing your master's, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, how did that kind of all work together, what you're passionate about now and what you're pursuing? Oh, it makes me want to cry because like... Hmm. it's like my passion (laughs) it's like literally my passion so i'm pursuing a master's of science in global health yeah and the goal is to increase accessibility of care specifically for silent illnesses such as mental illnesses and autoimmune and immunology stuff yeah where like these chronic stuff are not like it's not as strict as like oh you have a cut you have a wound Mm-hmm. You heal it. You know, chronic illnesses are more long-term and they're very invisible. And it's like you feel pain, but you don't feel pain. But if you don't take care of your pain, it's going to get worse. Yeah. And no one really knows where it's coming from, you know? Mm. So, yeah, 
my I think like for me, like as someone, you know, I found out true covenant of having ADHD. That was a big surprise, but also not really. Yeah. Um, but also a lot of I was diagnosed with both. Like I'm very vocal about this. Um, you know, mm. both depression and anxiety and PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just remember feeling not alone when I came hmm. to the states because I feel like yeah. I had these emotion. I had these like boxes in my head they're like you know they're like my, i always see my brain as like this chaotic file tab and i feel like that's a very easy <laughs> statement um yeah but like true especially being a psych major those file tabs started to have labels yeah and it really like helped me process of like the difference of care hmm. and i am fortunate enough to say that i received a tremendous amount of support and care in Covenant because, you know, counseling was free. Um, yeah. My roommate really helped me got through into medications with my limited funds. Yeah. And that is highly stigmatized in Indo because, like, unless you're crazy, you don't go to a psychiatrist. Hmm. And actually, it's really common, Zach, for, like, people who have depression, um, even just depression, to be locked up in chains and put in this kind of wow. jail-like structures. And that like was... In there's like in a in a jail type of thing or like in 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 their home it's a both either in their home but it's they're very strong off the society and then so like what's the hardest one is like you know i love sharing what i learn like that's something that you know educational literacy and health literacy is like my biggest passion so i share a lot Hmm. of these things with my parents you know understanding how the brain works when it's depressed, what is actually pain, you know, whether it's hmm. a social construct. And that's the biggest difference in the West. Yeah. A lot of these illnesses are seen as a medical construct. Well, hmm. in the East and Southeast Asia, at least I can say for, for sure for Southeast Asia, it's definitely seen as a social construct. So social strategies and social solutions is to treat your mental illness, not through a medical perspective. So hence why going okay. to a therapist, right. those kind of things will not work. And they say like, well, if you're going to counseling and you're just talking, then just have a friend. Yeah. And so there's those kind of like difference in categories. Yeah. Um, so that was like the biggest, biggest difference. And I remember like having back and forth conversations with my parents. And it's still like really, it's still like pretty tricky until now. I, I mean, my yeah. mom has been so amazing at absorbing all this information and she's just yeah. so compassionate about it. But like, there's often times where like, one of my former teachers was said like, well, like you have ADHD, but yours was and bad. And so that's why you didn't have to do the way you do. And like, hmm. no, mine was not as bad. I right. just masked it my entire life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just because it, it's not, you know, actively showing, you know, or, yeah, doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that it, doesn't it's not there. People have found ways to, to cope or, or, yeah. or handle it. And yeah. I think something that I don't know if Michelle ever shared this, what, for me, mm. the impact for me was I recently got diagnosed with an autoimmune because of the mm. accumulation of masking stress throughout my life. Wow. Yeah. And... A lot of things that I've said to my friends and something that I really want to do in my career, understanding these. I think there's one thing I really appreciate from the United States is boundaries. That's the hmm. biggest thing that I've learned <laughs> um, that I'm still struggling with. But it does impact on how you like how you treat your mental, like your health in general. Yeah. On like how you view because boundaries really reflect your self value and like 
you know what's your ideology like what like what is considered important to you yeah and it's so common in asian cultures where like having no boundaries is a good thing Hmm. and you tie that with christianity so it's like kind of this mix of like sacrificial love and not having boundaries as like a good Hmm. thing but then it can be really like unhealthy because like okay it's good for your parents to achieve good grades you know and helping the society and all that stuff but in the risk of your health um so i have actually a lot of my former peers actually struggle with a lot of health issues now because of that reason Hmm. and they kind of feel the impacts now and so something that i really want to my passion is to work in a way like and this is something that i still struggle uh something that what i've noticed was a common value especially that was like really encouraged in my high school was like food is not a necessity food is a reward and it, it no one really says that explicitly yeah but a few of my friends have kind of refrained to the same those kind of statements and those kind of like habits mm. having that kind of un- understanding that food is a reward yeah so you'll see people oftentimes skip meals for that mm. reason and that kind of yeah I was going to say that kind of reminds me of, you know, when you were talking about school earlier and how there's a culture, if there's an exam coming up, people, you know, won't take their breaks and they'll study together. And I was just thinking that, you know, if you're someone who feels really tired, you know, and is like, I got to take, I got to take my break, but everybody else is studying. Mm-hmm. I could just imagine that would be really hard to kind of break from that, especially in a, in a very collective, uh, collective culture. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, I think like understanding, you know, what is the identity of self and also being, you know, a person of society and kind of having a healthy middle ground is so, so crucial in how we should do healthcare. Because I think like the problems with the United States, it's so individualized that it doesn't get like kind of this like social, like this kind of more like collective thing that is actually really Mm. beneficial and vice versa. And I think hopefully from my well, I really hope and something that my my future professors have been encouraging is like because I was a local. So like mm. my understanding is I felt as a local. Yeah. And it's different when you're a local having a and have went abroad because you're not just like you're not just shoving you information, you know, yeah. you kind of knowing where like the general I think that that has been really helpful, especially in hopefully changing policies in health care related stuff, because like it's coming from someone who's been in those shoes, you know? Hmm. So it's not, it's not just shoving in, you know, like in, like in our classes about like, you know, when helping hurts and all that stuff. But I feel like because I was a local, like I didn't, I guess in a sense, like I didn't have the privilege of a foreigner, Hmm. which makes me actually understand better, better of where they're coming from. And actually, instead of just adding new information, like how, why do they believe what they believe like why do like what is actually the cause of the stigma like stigma has a source you know right and so like what i've noticed is definitely colonialism impacted the stigma yeah and it was like kind of an intentional move because like oh like going to like medical wards is a dutch thing because we were colonized Mm -hmm. by the dutch for the longest period of time yeah. And so a lot of the earlier leaders was like, oh, let's try to distance ourselves from the Dutch as much as we can. I feel like and that carried true on how we perceive health and medical needs. 
Um, a sad fact is actually Indonesia only saw mental illness and mental health as a human right in, actually in 2011. So it hasn't been that long. Hmm. And so like what this... Is, what does that mean, seeing it as a, as a human right? What well, is, yo. like they don't see it as like essential. Okay. Like they don't hmm. see... Like I guess like in a sense like the... I want to like dig deeper to it because the law is right. also kind of like flaky about it. Okay. But like I guess the trickling impact is like I guess the more like black and white answer is like physical health is more important than mental health. Hmm. Mental health yeah. is not mental health. Mental health is not even health. It's just you need to control your emotions. Mm -hmm. And because you're such yeah. collective cultures, you bet that people don't express, show or process their emotions, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. you don't want to you don't want to ruin it's it's like I think there was this interesting we our one of our like clinical classes there was a question do you prefer to lie or being angry hmm. and the only two Asian students in that entire class prefer they, they, they prefer not the other person to be angry everybody hmm. else we prefer to lie than creating this harmony yeah yeah and so, like, I think, like, the mixture of all that things, because it's such a collective culture, it's a shame-based culture. It's so weird. It's both collective. It's also very shame-based, but not, like, yeah. to the extent of, like, let's say, like, what people would assume, like, the East Asian cultures. But also, East Asians are actually a lot more individualistic than Southeast Asians, fun fact. But, yeah, like, a little bit mix of that was definitely the biggest, like, we are, we're just so, you know, the communication styles are super indirect. Yeah. And the just the unwillingness of creating any form of disharmony really impacts to the yeah, it's very impacts to the day to day decisions for sure. And I think that was the hardest cycle from like, not hardest cycle to break, but finding yeah. balance, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's a because I mean that 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 is a thing, right? Where like there are times where you shouldn't necessarily let all of your emotions show and, and sometimes where you do need to control your emotions and then other times where it's not appropriate you know mm -hmm. and I think that's what's that's what's really cool about hearing your story is you're able to you have this psychology degree you know from that you got that you earned here in in the United States and you also have experiencing life in Indonesia and and um, mental health and, and all of that. And you, you have this really cool perspective where you can really, yeah, I'm really excited to see what you do <laughs> with your master's. Cause I mean, I think, yeah, you have a really cool background and, and you could really help a lot of people in the East and in the West. Um, yeah. Something that places. made me really cry. So when my mom got sick, hmm. um, so her chemo ward was right across like the neuroscience ward. And I've always, and like, you know, the nurses, her nurses ask, like, oh, what do you study and stuff like that? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, I study like psychology. I'm like, oh, like, what are I going to do with that degree? And they're like, oh, I feel like I want to get into like clinical cross-cultural work. And then we have these conversation about what depression mm. is and now them as like clinicians, nurses and doctors. And I'm like, what yeah. do you think about these things, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and it's just so interesting how they still see it as a very socially constructed thing. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, you don't like think like it's a brain thing?" I'm like, mm, I don't know about like no one really. It's so funny, like you know, in America, I feel like our brain, I guess, like brain supported information is so like yeah. so full, like it's, it's yeah. everywhere, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's your brain, it's your brain, it's your brain, it's your brain." Yeah. 
Hmm. Uh, it knows really like don't really know a lot about that. So when I start hmm. saying like, oh, this is like the part of your brain that processes your emotions. This is the part of your brain that processes pain. It was like a huge shock. Yeah. So I was like, okay. I told Dr. Yu, I was like, is it possible for me to do it while I'm in Indo? Like I have my participants, I have my pool. I speak the language for us to do a study to understand people's under general understanding first like what is their perceived yeah. understanding so we did one on what i consider a mild case of mental illness because then i want to see like what is the like gray section you know hmm. yeah and so yeah it was really interesting the results show we got to present it in conference we're reviewing it for a publication it's oh, been wow. it's been a while to be reviewing a publication because i have to like break it down or something yeah um but yeah what's interesting is parents if it's themselves that struggle with a mental illness like depression they will see it as a social problem but if when they, it's their kids they will see it as a medical problem and they will actually get medical care for their kids so it's just so weird like it yeah. depends on who the person is and so like that project yeah. and what was really encouraging was like I remember, like, I think I had, I, I, we ended up getting almost 200 participants, which was crazy. Wow. And wow. I, I remember having a random, a random person kind of like emailed me and they struggle with depression. And they're like, you know, mm. for you to do a study like this gave me a little bit of hope because wow. I thought the things that I was thinking was just in my head. And I think what's heartbreaking and hope. To all the listeners out there, something that's really heartbreaking and we need to really stop about it or try to figure out something is suicide rates in Southeast Asia is one of the ones that's going up the most, the highest, actually. Mm. And I think it's just really yeah. sad where we are not giving access to care when suicides are also really going up. And, and so I don't want us to be like guilty after the fact kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the reason of why I picked this field. And it's also like, to be honest, in connection of how I met into Covenant is because I witnessed a lot of my friends went to substance abuse and all that stuff to cope. Yeah. And they still do until now. Um, and so I just like, I feel like there's a different way of life. Like there, there must be some kind of help, you know, there's some yeah. kind of healing and stuff like that. And Covenant, like as imperfect it is, like really helped me go through that like yeah. both as like an indonesian individual that has been over like having a night i i had the worst identity crisis in like sophomore year because i'm like i don't mm. know what i am oh <laughs> uh, i don't like being in yeah. asia i don't like being in the u.s i hate everywhere <laughs> that, and that i remember very vividly yeah but yeah, yeah. like um w living in such extreme parts of the world really i feel like really blossom of why I pick the field that I feel and like the work that I do now because it makes mixed it. And now what's the greatest impact? Like I work for a neuro neuropsychologist, like mm -hmm. when we have clients who are persons of color, it's like kind of, I get where they're coming from, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. like understanding of how, like the language that we should change to use or something yeah. on those lines, you know? So it's just like, I'm very, I'm very proud to live in different parts of the world but also being a person of color because yeah. it really does change of how you yeah. see things for sure okay so that's that's awesome that is really <laughs> encouraging to hear i'm super excited to see yeah where you go with your masters and all that you're able to achieve and all the people that you can help
Thank, Thank you. you so much for for being on on the podcast on, you know, it's exciting. Thank you for speaking with me and sharing a little bit about your time in Indonesia and um yeah. And also, to too, if there's any Indonesian listeners, this is my experience. <laughs> so it might be a little bit for different for you guys. So I apologize. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the first episode of Worn Shoes with me and Grace. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. If you did, I encourage you to follow the show and share it with your friends and family. I want to thank my wife and family for encouraging me to put this together. The music for this show is done by Julian Laurie on Spotify, and the cover art was done by Josh Platts. As the show is starting off, episodes will be released at the end of every month, so please look forward to those future episodes. Also, the special announcement is that if you have an international story or experience that you would like to share, or know someone who does, please send an email to warnshoespodcast at gmail.com and potentially become a guest on the show. Again, Thank you all for listening, and I will see you guys next time.